<laughs> Please be seated. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, anyway, it's so good to have each and every one of you with us today. And uh, as you look around the building, at least toward the front, you'll notice all the flags are up. And as we said last week, this is our month of missions. And uh, we try to make it a, a big month, of course, starting this coming Saturday night. As you're going to hear just a little bit from Brother Kavanaugh, we've got our international dinner that's coming up. We would hope and pray that all of you would be involved in that. You'd come on out and be a part of it. And um, I'm not sure what that night, is there preaching that night? Or is that just, just it's just Food and fellowship. I mean, are you kidding me? Why wouldn't you come? No preaching? Yes. Well, maybe not. But anyway, the, the fact is, is it's going to be a great night kicking everything off. And then starting Sunday, we uh, are looking forward to Sunday through Wednesday having our speaker with us. And so far, we still got to go on that. We haven't heard anything other than he's going to be with us. Of course, he's down there right just a little north of... of um, Oh, man, I've always forget. What's that? Oh, that's Family Commons. Who's? Oh, I got the guys mixed up. Anyway, this guy's a missionary to whatever. But anyway, <laughs> he'll be with us. He'll be with us, and I'm sure he's going to do a good job, too. I probably ought to pray for him. But anyway, I've been praying for the wrong guy. Uh, but <clears throat> the Lord knows, you know what I mean? He knows, right? Okay, he'll, he'll forgive me for that one, and I'll get on this thing. And you say Gene Autry? <laughs> Some of you know, okay, forget it. Brother Autry, though. Okay, good, all right. He's probably heard that a million times, too. He'll be like, <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, that was a good one, right? And he'll be like, yeah, I've heard it 12,000 times. But anyway, <clears throat> nonetheless, it's Missions Month. And so last week uh, we were talking, we, we entered the month of missions, as we said, and we began by asking the question, have you been moved enough to move? So we talked about last week as we kicked off this month, and we said that God's goodness abounds in our lives. And according to the book of Romans, the mercies of God, His justification, His, his sanctification, glorification, uh, in the life of all the saints is a good reason to be moved already. As we continued our message, we noted that everybody is moved by something, though. And uh, I said, well, I, I suppose it's really a case of being uh, being moved, uh, not so much being moved as much as it is a case of what moves us, right? <clears throat> you know, what is it that moves us? And so we asked, does the horrifying condition of our culture and our society move us to, to, to action? Does the thought of losing the next generation to Satan move us? I mean, does the, the, the sacrifice of Christ move us to move, you know? And um, therefore, we opened our message up with, have you been moved enough to move? Well, this morning, I want to continue with our Missions Month themes, and I want to ask another question. And the question today is, is a little bit different, but it's, it's similar in the sense that it says, are you, have you gained enough to give? Here we ask, did you, have you been moved enough to move? Now we're asking the question, have you gained enough to give? Well, <clears throat> we're going to look right off the bat at some biblical examples of some people in the Bible who were... And uh, then we'll kind of take a look at the passage, uh, kind of look at this subject just a little bit more, and then we'll close her down and we'll be moving on. Uh, but uh, we are glad you're here. And what a wonderful month it is, Missions Month. God's blessed us in our missions program, and we want to continue to see God working and moving in that as we send missionaries around the world, as well as 
Uh, well, like even this coming uh, month, it looks like we're going to be taking or making a project going down this month, I believe, down to Florida to try to help some of those folks that are struggling and having a difficult time down there in Florida. And so, of course, all of these are projects that we do and money that's needed for missions so that we can make an impact and a difference in the world we live and truly see people come to Jesus Christ. Well, let's have a word of prayer and we'll continue with this message as we ask the question, have you gained enough to give? Father, we ask, Lord, you'd bless our time together in this place. Now, Lord, we need you. <clears throat> and Father, without you, we can do nothing. So, Lord, I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. And, Lord, may you just bless the people of God. May you fill them that they're, they'd hear with spiritual ears. Now, Father, bless the message. Be, may you be glorified in it all. We do need you. We love you. And we can't help but, Father, give to you the glory for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> all right, well... I was going to kick off by starting, but I, I really need to share this with you because I need to calm down myself. And you may have heard this before, but I was told in the singles class that this is a, it's a ringer. Okay? You'll hear what I... You, just Morris, he's an 82-year-old felon. He goes to his doctor to get a physical. A few days later, the doctor saw Morris walking down the street, and he had this gorgeous young woman on his arm. He couldn't believe what he was looking at. And so a few days after that, Morris came back in the office and the doctor said to Morris, boy, you're really doing great, aren't you? And he said, just doing what you said, doc. Get a hot mama and be cheerful. The doc said, I didn't say that. I said, you got a heart murmur, be careful. <clears throat> now we're ready to preach. <laughs> Turn, if you would, over to the book of Acts, chapter 26. Acts 26, verse 16. <clears throat> Acts chapter 26, verse 16. Acts chapter 26, verse 16. Here in this particular passage, we are going to be reminded of a man by the name of Saul, who ultimately would be renamed to Paul. The Bible says here, as he is now facing the end of his life, really, growing, growing closer to the end of his life, he's then, he's standing before King Agrippa, and he makes a statement. Notice what he says. It says, uh, but rise and stand upon thy feet, verse 16, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen. Paul is relating the story or the account of him on the road to Damascus there before uh, before he was ever saved. He's talking about what took place on that road. And he says, and the Lord said to him, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, verse 17, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Now, Paul the Apostle is, again, going back and remembering how he met the Lord Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus. And he's saying, listen, God spoke to me and God gave to me a mission. God told me what he wanted for me and what he wanted me to accomplish and what he wanted me to do. And, O King Agrippa, as I stand before you all these years later, 
I want you to know that I was, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I literally gave my life to Jesus Christ. I yielded it all. I gave it all to him. And I accomplished what he called me to do and what he wanted for me in my life. I think about the Apostle Paul and I think about what he had gained. And I think about that salvation that was his now that beforehand he knew nothing of. Here he was one that murdered the Christian. Here he was one that sought to literally annihilate Christianity to do away with it completely. And yet here he is now talking about that day and pointing back to that time in his life where he was an enemy of Christ. And today he says, listen, I gained enough to give. I gained so much there that day on the road to Damascus that I gave my very life to serve the Lord. In Romans chapter 1, verse 14, Paul the Apostle, speaking to the church at Rome, says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I'm a debtor. And oh God, everything. And there's not one person that I'm not indebted to after all that Christ has done for me. I have gained so much. How could I not give? Turn, if you would, over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, let's begin in verse 1. John chapter 12. So right off the bat, we are introduced to Saul and to Paul and who becomes Paul, and what a wonderful truth. And we recognize the, just the, the way that God's blessings in his life moved him. I mean to tell you, he gained to the point that he gave. Notice this particular woman in John chapter 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. The value of this ointment was estimated by Judas as being a year's salary. I want you to think about that. Basically, a penny a day is what someone would work for, and we see that there's here 300 pence. It's possible that it could have taken almost an entire year to accumulate, to amass this kind of gift. That means that Mary must have been saving for some time then. 
She had heard that the Savior would die. She had heard that he would once again rise from the dead. And it appears that she began to save. (laughs) How tempted do you think she would have been when just a, 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 a while back her brother dies? How quickly it might have been, or tempting it might have been, to take what she had planned to use on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ instead to use it for her brother who had died. It would make sense to me. I don't know about you, but that makes sense. But she didn't do that. And boy, good for her, right? Because Jesus shows up in town, and what did he do? He raised him from the dead. Mary finds herself at the feet of Jesus, anointing the Lord Jesus Christ for his burial, his death. Mary probably thought, I bet you Jesus is going to rise just like my brother did. If he could raise my brother, then he'll probably raise the same way, and Why waste the ointment when he dies? He's just going to rise again. I might as well anoint him now. Well, you talk about faith. So about a week prior to the betrayal, in an act of faith, Mary anointed Jesus while he yet lived. And as we look back, we think about what could have motivated Mary. What good things did God do for her? How did she gain in order to come to the place to give? I got to think that God had given her her brother back from the dead. That certainly was something that would have motivated me. She had been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, not just her, but her sister and her brother and her family. The friendship and the fellowship that she enjoyed with the Lord Jesus Christ through the years And she looks back on her life in the last few years with Jesus Christ being a friend to her brother and to the family. And she says, I have gained so much in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I've gained so much. I want to give. Turn to Mark chapter 5, verse 2. Paul, did you gain enough to give? Oh, boy, did I ever. Let me ask you, Mary. Have you gained enough to give? Are you kidding? (laughs) I was so happy to do it. And we run up here against Mark chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. And when he was come out of the ship... Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. They've said that about me too. You hurt me when you laugh. (laughs) Verse, Verse four. 
because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. I want you to look at verse 13. We know how this turns out, don't we? We know that this particular maniac is going to come into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ and something miraculous is going to take place in his life. Look at what happens here in verse 13 and forthwith. Jesus gave them leave, talking about the demonic spirits and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. I mean, here's this man who... After everything they tried to do in the city to calm him and to bring him under restraint, could not. And there they finally said, leave him alone. Let him wander through the tombs. And at night, as it got dark out, he would echo through the, the valley. They'd hear the voice of that man, ah! cutting himself. So it says, what's wrong with cutting? It's demonic. It's an emotional problem. Uh, it may be... Tied to emotions. But my friend, let me tell you something. It's not that far away from demonic activity. Listen, we better get a, a handle on some things in life. That there's a real enemy that we face today in America. And that enemy is not just mental illness. That enemy is nothing but the God of this world, Satan. I'm not saying that everybody that cuts is demonic. That is not what I'm implying. But I'm telling you that if you've got a child or a young person in your home that's starting to do that, my friend, you better take it extremely serious. It's not just a fad. It's unfortunately a sign of the times. You better recognize the need to beg God to do something miraculous and supernatural in their life. It is not just simply taking them to a doctor. You better take them to the great physician in prayer. And you better start fasting and praying that God will deliver them. This, this guy, nobody thought he could be tamed. Nobody could bring him under control. Yet he met the master that day and Jesus touched his life and he was never the same. Look at his response in Mark chapter 5 verse 18. When he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Jesus now gets on a ship, he's preparing to leave, and this particular man runs up to him and says, Oh, let me be with you, let me travel with you, let me go with you. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. 
this maniac, as he begins to take assessment of his life, as he begins to look at what Christ has done for him, he says to himself, I have gained so much. I can't even begin to describe how different my life is since coming to Jesus. I have gained so much, I want to give. And what he gave was the testimony of Jesus Christ in his life. He went out into this neighborhood and went out to his home area and around the area and he said, Jesus, change my life. And they looked at him and they said, man, this Jesus must be unique. He's got to be special. He did what nobody else could do. And he says, you're right. Oh, I've gained so much. I've got to give. You know, when Jesus returned back to that area sometime later, he was met by a crowd of believers because of a man who had gained and gave. God had freed him from vice. He had freed him to serve the Savior. Instead of Satan, he had freed him from the power of the devil. He felt he had gained enough to give. I wonder today, have you gained enough to give? It's funny how Jesus, he gave to so many different people, didn't he? Turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, would you? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, we're going to see a very common type of verse in the Bible. And you say, what do you mean common? Well, we're going to see that it's not the only place that we see this kind of summary of the life of Jesus on earth. Matthew 4, 24, his, and his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy and he healed them. In Matthew 8, 16, it says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 12, verse 15 but when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and a great multitude followed him, and he healed them all. Following the ascension of Christ, though, the apostles returned to Jerusalem, and they entered the upper room, and they joined those other disciples that were already there. And in Acts chapter 1, turn, would you please, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, because... I'm a little confused. I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around what I'm going to read here. We just read how Jesus healed them all. We just read how Jesus had worked in all their lives, how Jesus had supernaturally intervened on their behalf and brought about a miraculous change in their lives. And Acts chapter 1, verse 14, immediately following the ascension of Jesus Christ, we know that he's just died, now he ascended back to the Father. We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, 
Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around that. So these fellas just watch Jesus go up into heaven and say, I'll return in like manner. And they make their way back, waiting on the return of Christ to the Holy Ghost. And they, they meet with the other disciples in the upper room. And as they meet, they're gathered together, 120 of them strong. What? Wait a second. Didn't we just read that he healed them all? You mean the only ones that were healed were 120 people? The only people that he met their needs in their life, that he worked in their life, were 120? Wait a minute, there's got to be a mistake here. After all, Jesus did so many things, and yet there are only 120 in the upper room. I mean, where were the blind that had received their sight? How about the lame that had taken up their beds and walked? I, weren't there a number of lepers who were cleansed? How about those that he fed miraculously at the feeding of the 5,000 and then not long after the feeding of the 4,000? We read about the multitudes at the Sermon on the Mount that had heard his just amazing message. Those that heard it in the synagogues. And yet there were only 120 in the upper room. How can this be? See, I'm convinced that we are prone over time to dismiss what God has miraculously done in our lives as being natural, somewhat mundane even. And again, we note this perspective being demonstrated by the children of Israel who saw God send ten plagues to miraculously deliver them from the bondage of Egypt. Not long after, they found themselves between a rock and a hard place as before them was the Red Sea and behind them were the armies of Pharaoh. And yet they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. At Mara, the waters were bitter. That's why they called it Mara. Cast in a stick, if you will, and it becomes sweet, and they all drink and are satisfied. Manna is provided in the wilderness. A rock brings forth water. And yet in just a short time, I mean weeks, the people would be sacrificing to a golden calf at the base of Mount Sinai. I don't know about you, but that's hard to wrap your mind around. How can this be? They had gained so much. <clears throat> I met a man out door knocking the other day. He had been shot in the head a few years back. According to the doctors, he wasn't supposed to make it. They said that he would be impaired mentally, physically, that he wouldn't walk again, that he'd have to be cared by others his whole life. They said he would, he would have to have somebody, that have a caregiver, even if he did make it, which they didn't expect him to live. He later tells me that he, he had to relearn how to talk and how to walk and how to do everything all over again. He had to learn how to tie his shoes He spent 234 days in the hospital. But I met him the other day outdoor knocking. 
living on his own, and communicating quite well, actually. But sadly, this man doesn't believe that the Bible's God's word, and he isn't convinced that there's a God. And I asked him during the course of the conversation what it would take for him to believe that there was a God. And he basically said the normal response, you know, if God would come down and fix the world, if he would take away disease and problems and the hurt and the heartaches and all of those things, then maybe. And I said, let me ask you a question. What if he raised someone from the dead? He thought for a moment. He didn't say a word, and I said, that's what he did for you. You were supposed to be dead, weren't you? Yeah, but God raised you up. But you know what? We are so quick to dismiss God's miraculous work in our lives as being normal. We'll give doctors credit. We'll give medicine credit. We'll give the therapists credit. We'll, we'll have to somehow, we somehow explain what is taking place in our lives, whether it be physically or financially or, or, or mentally, emotionally. We're going to give credit to someone. But it wasn't a doctor that brought that man through his ordeal. And by the way, it wasn't a priest or a prophet that delivered God's people from bondage and provided them with safety and sustenance as they went through the wilderness. But if we're not careful, we do not recognize how much we have gained. We take for granted the blessings that we enjoy. Just waking up every morning, I've interested people will say things to me sometimes. They'll say, man, I'm just happy that I, 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 I'm, I'm being... Uh, seen and not viewed. And I'm like, hey, that's pretty good. I'm just thankful that I, I, my eyes opened and I woke up today. Well, that's good. You've gained a lot. And may I say that there are so many areas of our life where we miss God's hand. We don't see it. I wonder, do you see it? You're God's people. Of all people, we should see it. But we know how prone we are as God's people, according to the children of Israel, not to see it. But if I saw the waters part, I would feel like I've gained. Oh, really? And yet God's given you a wife, a husband, a family, a job. God's given you a home to rest in, a bed to lay in. God's given you the opportunity and food to eat and drink so that you can move forward in life. You say, but you don't know what I've been through. I know what God has done for you, though, and you do too, if you will recognize how much you have gained. We read about ten lepers, and for time's sake, I'm not going to read it, but we know that when Jesus healed the ten lepers, we are told by Jesus that only one returned to praise him and to thank him. Ten lepers. Lepers were people who in those days had a terminal illness, so to speak. They would never get rid of it. It would lead them to an early grave. They were going to die. They were going to have to live separated and, and isolated for their entire being and their entire life. 
Nobody had the cure, no shot, no vitamins. Nothing could take away this leprosy, and yet Jesus healed them, and only one returned to say thank you and praise him. Only one said, I have gained enough to give my thanks and praise to Jesus. Only one had gained enough in their eye, their mind. You and I say, oh, they, they gained enough. They gained a lot. Yeah, I know, but they obviously didn't think they did. I wonder, have you gained enough to give? Are you and I quick to attribute the blessings in our life to God? Do we find ourselves anxious to give back to God who gave so graciously and bountifully to us? Have we gained enough to give? You know, again, I suppose it's not really a matter of whether or not we have gained enough because there isn't anything that we have that isn't from God. I mean, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I mean, we think about what has God given My, he's given us his salvation. He's given us his indwelling presence. He's given us provision and access to him in prayer. A perfect love letter from heaven called the word of God. He's given us the church and he's given us family, friends and loved ones. He's given us so many things. The real question is, have you gained enough to give Yes, this morning as we approach our missions conference, yeah, I want folks to take inventory inventory of the goodness of God in their lives. And and yes, I I want them to be moved to remove their wallets, to unlock their safes, to access their bank accounts, and to give back to God through missions giving. Absolutely I do, but money's really not that hard to give. It really isn't. We know that. It's one of the easier things to give, really. And it's often used as a substitute for what God's really asking from each of us. We touched on this last week, and I'm just going to touch on it and move right on. But you and I know the verse in Romans 12, 1 from last week. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There you have it. The real desire of our Heavenly Father, what He wants most of all, is you. He wants you. He wants you, and He wants you, and He wants you. He wants me. Oh yeah, we can pull out our wallets and we can throw a few bucks in the plate. Sure, we can go ahead and give a little bit of our time and our energy. Yeah, we can even give some talent to the Lord. But friend, when it's all said and done, what God most wants most from each of us is us. What can I give him though? If I feel as though God has given to where I have gained, what could I give in return? Give yourself first and foremost. Maybe it's in an old-fashioned order. You need to come and say, Lord, I surrender all. I give you everything. I don't know what you want from me, but I know that I'm going to give myself to you. I've gained 
so much I want to give. I want to give myself, just like Paul the Apostle did. I want to give myself like the maniac of Gadara. I want to give everything I got, like that woman who poured that alabaster box of ointment upon you, anointing your head and feet. First and foremost, give yourself, and then your time, and then your talents, and then your treasures. Boy, I hope you feel that you've gained enough to give. As we close, do you remember the miracle of salvation that he gave you? Do you remember that? Can you recall the way he has provided for you? Whether it be financially, physically, or emotionally? For your family, your loved ones. How precious is prayer to you? Or the word of God? Or the indwelling presence of Christ in your life? I don't believe that it's ever a question of have we gained. I think it's obvious we've all gained. The question is, do you feel you've gained enough to give? Marquise de Lafayette was a French officer who provided invaluable assistance to George Washington and the struggling American army. After the war was over, he returned to France and he resumed his life as a farmer who farmed a number of estates. In 1783, the harvest was a terrible one. There were a number of farms and a number of people who suffered as a result. Lafayette's farms escaped the devastation that killed so many crops and that others experienced. One of his workers offered what seemed to be pretty good advice at the time. He said, the bad harvest has raised the price of wheat. This is the time to sell. After thinking about the hungry peasants and those in his area that were starving and hurting, Lafayette disagreed and he said, no, this is the time to give. You know, the blessings of God in our lives can be easily hoarded or used to advance our own wealth and prosperity. But like Lafayette, we need to see the overwhelming need of others and the looming doom they face. We ought to be moved by it. I wonder, like Lafayette, have you gained enough to give? Have you gained enough to step back and say, boy, God's met my needs so wonderfully that I want to let God use me to meet the needs of others? I've gained to the point of giving. What does God have to give you before you'll give? How good does your health have to be before you actually serve him? How much money in the bank do you need before you actually give as he calls you to and asks you to? How much money do you have to make an hour before you'll say church is important? 
I'm just asking, have you gained enough to give? Because I have to ask myself that question all the time. I think as a believer, we ought to. Maybe today you don't even know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you slipped off into eternity today, you can't know for sure in your heart, your mind, that heaven would be your home. Oh, you believe in God, and that's good. But that's not enough. Oh, you believe that Jesus went to an old rugged cross and died for, you, for the sin of the world. That's, that's good. But it's not enough. See, he died for you. He took your place. He died for sinners, yes, but he died for a sinner, you. And I want you to know that 2,000 years ago, he loved you so much that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can live forever today. Beginning today, you can have eternal life. But it begins by believing that only Christ and him alone can save you and forgive you. It won't be going to church or reading your Bible or praying that will get you there. It's only Jesus. Those are things you do because you're on your way, not to find your way. Believer today... Have you gained enough to give? Yes, missions giving, for sure. I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, that's, that'd be great. But first and foremost, what he wants most is you. He gets you, all the rest of it falls in place. Have you gained enough to give? May God help us to recognize the multiple, bountiful blessings of God in our life each and every day and be so grateful and thankful that we can say, I have gained enough to give. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together in your house. And Lord, we just pray that you'd work in our lives. And Lord, we are a needy people. And Lord, just because we have gained so much doesn't mean that there aren't needs in our life. Lord, we still need you to come alongside and continue to bless us and meet those needs. But Father, we are a blessed people. And despite the price of gas and despite the increasing inflation and all the obstacles and, 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 and just the, 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 the challenges that we face in our life, Lord, as we look around the world, we can't help but recognize how wonderful you've been to us and how you have benefited us and blessed us beyond our imagination. Father, may we all come away feeling as though we have gained enough to give and then take steps to identify and to outline what that giving means, whether it be financial, but first and foremost, to give ourselves. May we be moved to surrender all, to present ourselves a living sacrifice to you. Well, thank you. And Lord, for that person that's in need of Christ most today, bring conviction on their heart. And Father, may they not delay, but as soon as the music plays, may they step out into the aisle, make their way forward. And if they're a lady, we'll have a lady show them very quickly simple promises from your word how they too can know for sure heaven's their home as a man the same a man will show them and help them 
So Lord, help us, we pray, in these next moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.